Hey, Bastin. Jay and Silent Bob are coming to raid your fridge, smoke your weed, and make you laugh hysterically while they do it. How do you like them apples? Friday, October 7th at the Wilbur Theater. Catch Jay and Silent Bob get old. Grab your tickets now by clicking on the link at csmod.com. So, you're saying, yo, sir, dude, I love sir, and I want to show the world. Wear your sir love with our official t-shirts, biatch. Fishies have no eyes. Let us fuck. Jay and Silent Bob get old. The Garmy. There's also posters, action figures. There's so many to choose from. Grab your smirch at smodcast.com. Scroll down and click on Smerchandise. Catch live video clips of Jay and Silent Bob Get Old and Hollywood Babylon on the Kevin Smith blog for the Huffington Post. Huff.to slash Kevin Smith blog. That's Huff.to slash Kevin Smith blog. The Smonsters of Talk are coming to motherfucking Vegas. Jay and Silent Bob get old and Hollywood Babylon. Whether you want to snooch your nooch or give that penis a sandwich, the shenanigans happen August 12th and 13th at the Hard Rock Cafe, located right on the famous Las Vegas Strip. Kevin Smith, Jason Mewes, and Ralph Garman are guaranteed to make you forget you just gambled away all your money. Jay and Silent Bob Get Old and Hollywood Babylon, August 12th and 13th at the Hard Rock Cafe in Las Vegas. Go to csmod.com for tickets. Yo, Red Bank, New Jersey. Jay and Silent Bob are going to snooch to your motherfucking nooch. I don't even know what that means. Jay and Silent Bob get old. Live at the Count Basie Theater on October 8th. Special guest, tell them Steve Day. Get your tickets at CountBasieTheater.org. Jay and Silent Bob get old. Live at the Count Basie Theater, October 8th in Red Bank. Word. Want early access to tickets for Smodcast Internet Radio's metric fuckton of live shows? Join Smodcast. For just $4.99 a month, you'll get CD-quality audio of every podcast you hear on Sir ad-free. It's like watching porn without having to fast-forward through that goddamn plot. You'll also get bonus video content and other badass exclusives. Smodcast. Where Smodcast goes save for pay. All the deets at Smodcast.com. Going to New York Comic Con in October? Well, Jay and Silent Bob are giving you one more reason to fangasm. Uh, you might want to clean that up. Friday, October 14th at the IGN Theater. Catch a live performance of the popular podcast, Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. Dust off that Batman costume that's three sizes too small. Or, fuck it, don't wear a costume. Just wear some type of clothing, because, you know, you don't want to get arrested. And get ready to enjoy a thick layer of gooey comedy jizz with Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, live in New York. October 14th at the IGN Theater. 
Tickets on sale now. For more info, go to csmod.com. Welcome to Spinner View. I'm Kevin Smith. I'm sitting down talking to Betty Applin. Betty, say hi. Hi. Now, my generation and probably a generation that followed me knows you from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, simply as Lady Aberlin. When did you want to be an actress? And was that it, or was it just arts? Well, it was all the arts, which was very confusing. And what, yeah, because there's a lot. Because I wanted to do them all, and because uh, the only thing I had any aptitude for Aside maybe from mechanical aptitude. What do you mean mechanical? Like you, you, I once passed a vocational test that said, you know, maybe I should have studied auto mechanics or something like that. That I, was where they pushed you. They were like, why don't you go work on engines? <laughs> I wish there'd been a vocational school for the likes of me, but, uh, <laughs> well, art has all, all these facets, you know, mm. some people are artists in their mothering and, uh, the only way I saw myself of getting out of the reality I was in, which was the latchkey kid, mm-hmm. the father left uh, in large part because of the Second World War, because how are you going to keep him down on the farm after they've seen Paris? So your dad went off to the service, came back, and then was and just came like... came back, but never came back and just told my mother, look, I know this is selfish, but I'm out of here. Get out of here, really. And I had been the kid with the uh, eating to the picture of my father. He's coming, he's coming soon, he's coming back soon. And he came and he split. So how much of any of this, uh, what in my day was called a show, you were a show-off, you were a ham, mm-hmm. uh, you are trying to be the center of attention. Right. Like, Dad, you know? Is that it? You feel... Me? I don't know. He left a television set. It was the first television set in the building, and people had never been fr- friends of ours because mm-hmm. my mother was the first divorcee on the block. Start, started knocking on the door to see the TV. And wow. so I don't think it's an accident that my mother hadn't been forced to uh, become a teacher and raise my sister and myself. Right. That I eventually uh, wanted to perform for or saw the importance of performing for those latchkey kids who were on the opposite side. Right. You know, uh, but whether I was trying to get my father to notice me or to validate myself in the only way I could... Um, those were the days of IQs, and there was a girl whose father worked for the principal who came in and told me that I had scored lower on the IQ than she had. So I just thought of myself uh, with my mother, the all-powerful person, uh, a teacher who was constantly correcting and and um, elucidating that I was too dumb to do certain things, but I could dance, I could sing, I could paint so you were kind of uh she's not she's not going to be a bright student but oh she's into the arts like those two were mutually exclusive? Uh well I I didn't go to performing arts because my mother remarried when I was 13. I had gotten into uh performing arts which was uh one kind of a vocational high school 
and, uh, and which, music, is that in music New, is this in, we didn't even New say York City, New York sorry. City. So is this the high born, school performing uh, 12th arts? Street and no, born 17th Street and Second Avenue, Manhattan General. Right. Now uh, a condominium called the Rutherford, and then grew up in in Queens, Jackson Heights, Queens, watching the sunset behind the UN Building. And then my mother remarried when I was 13 enough. We went to Staten Island, which oh. is like Jane Eyre. Yeah. Gothic big high school. Right. Given new name, Aberlin. So that was, that was your mom remarried. That's, that was that dude's name. My mom remarried Aberlin. We were told to take his name. I came in the middle of the term and we used to call them then the hoods. The teacher would say, Miss Aberlin, Miss Aberlin. And they'd go, Hey, she's talking to you. The dudes, really? Yeah, the wonderful dudes. Yeah, like <laughs> Peaches, Pietro Cotello. And anyway, I was the lonely bohemian in the school, you know, right. playing my three guitar chords and going into Washington Square because at that time we used to play folk music and teach each other songs. And I grew up during the blacklist and the teachers were leaving school lest they be fired for being communists. So I can't say I wanted to be an actress because I wasn't even allowed to watch films, but my sister and I went to the Museum of Modern Art on scholarship and rode the subways alone. So I was this, uh, I wanted an older brother, but in the absence of one, I became the older brother in right. a family with no father and no men and so on. And, and just, it sounded like you had free reign in the arts capital of the world as well. Oh, yes. Uh, we, we were very proud of that too. New York was the center of the universe. Our cousins who had everything lived in New Jersey, but <laughs> my mother and her sister uh, we're told by our grandmother, Bertha Kinstein, mm -hmm. to walk as if they owned Jersey City. Genius. So their posture was really, really good. What a and, great uh, note. That is an awesome note for yeah. any kid. Yeah. It's just like command yourself, deport yourself. And uh, despite the fact that our, our cousins had quite a lot of money and so on, and we didn't, uh, the consolation prize was that we lived in New York City. Mm -hmm. You'd say things like, two cars in the garage and they've never been to the museum of modern art. Oh my God. We you were thought, a little art snob. Well, the, well, it was what we had. Right. It was your currency. It's like, they may have this, but pff, they don't have this. Yeah. And, um, it was what we had and was all I could aspire to because I wasn't allowed to have religion because religion of any kind was, uh, you know, just ridiculous. Right. I mean, fight if they call you a Yid. Remember the Holocaust. Uh -huh. uh, Are you all Jewish, I, part Jewish? I'm Russian Jewish on both sides. Both sides. On one side, they were, I think, revolutionaries who had to get out of Russia. And the other side, they were starting to conscript guys and cut their fingers off for their wedding rings. And my grandfather on one side said, we're out of here with oh, his brothers. Yeah. Good timing. Yeah. Well, yeah. well observed. But he, my grandfather on my mother's side walked out of the synagogue at a point when you weren't supposed to look up or you'd see, I don't know what, didn't see, I don't know what. And we uh, religiously followed this uh, Orthodox Jewish atheism and uh, were anyhow isolated because we were this strange little family of three women. Right. Oh, my God. You guys see, are a little island. Quite isolated. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the the nutty relatives who live in the city probably. Well, uh, how nutty we were remained to be discovered in years following, but, but right then, uh, 
if our consolation prize, uh, we, we couldn't afford things, and I took that to mean I didn't deserve things. Right. That's a very bad mistake to make when you're a child, like the one that some children make about how the reason their father left was because they were bad right. or had been born a girl instead of a boy or whatever. So art was the bliss, fairy tales and myths, Greek, not Roman, were my obsessive readings. And I think Hans Christian Andersen, uh, especially with stories like The Little Mermaid and mm-hmm. uh, The Red Shoes and The Little Match Girl, uh, somehow he put his finger on that feeling of outsider. And of course, I didn't know that I was lacking anything. Mm-hmm. But it was a kind of house where if, if you put the uh, the hamburger meat out to thaw, there would be little, um, my sister and I would take little thumbfuls as it defrosted. Right. And we, well, I'm, I'm going kind of far and wide. I always danced. Right. Farah Krasnopolsky was a teacher across the street. During the blacklist, the McCarthy years, I got cast in a show called Sandhog and when I was about 10. Point? 10 years old, you've been cast in a show? Yes, and uh, it it had been written by two blacklisted people, one of whom was the Hollywood 11th, who, Waldo Salt, who, who wrote... Waldo Salt? Yes. The Waldo it's Salt Screenwriting Award work. at Sundance. Yeah, wow. Waldo Salt, who, who wrote Midnight Cowboy, mm-hmm. and Earl Robinson, who wrote The House I Live In that Frank Sinatra made popular, unable to work in California, had come to bring to life in musical form a quite serious musical called Sandhog based on a Theodore Dreiser story about an Irish immigrant who working uh, as a Sandhog, which many of the immigrants did, so it's a completely integrated and international community in danger. What is the job? What is a Sandhog? Well, uh, they dug, for example, the path trains. Yes. Uh, They they dug uh, with compressed air under the Hudson River. Those are the guys that built the trains and the tunnels and whatnot. Yes, and there were terrible casualties. And in a, in, Dreiser wrote a story about a real event in which uh, an Irishman was blown from helping to save his men so that they could get into the, I can't remember what it's called, it's a lock, mm-hmm. so they don't get the bends. Right, 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 an airlock. Uh, kind of thing. He made sure his men got to the airlock and then was himself blown through the silt of the of the river and up and lived to tell the tale, rescued by a tugboat captain on on the North River or Holy the Hudson cat. River. And uh, we were, I was the only real child in the show. I mm. kind of started at the top in that way. I mean, if you think about Dreiser and... Yeah, your, your, entree, was, your entree wasn't... It was mighty special. It, oh, my God. I, I was doing like uh, parables in third grade, pretending to be a king who was going to be going to hell to pay for his sins on a, on a floor... And you were working with Waldo Salt. It has not been lost upon you, though. I, I now, uh, having finally met uh, recovering Catholics or whatever, pe- whatever people call themselves who are dipped in the wick, that, that's an incredible uh, formation to have, really, uh, in spite of the abuses that, that I've heard of. Mm. It's not about aristocracy, really. It's about... Um, I found a home on the stage in that way with the stagehands playing poker underneath the stage mm-hmm. uh, and and or- orchestra members in a pit. Bliss. Right. You know, and my mother just had to ask, was asked whether she minded the fact 
that I would be a communist by association at age 10. And she was like, nah. I, I did it for a period of time and lived in that altered reality. Did they uh, talk community. about the blacklist then? Like, was that all the rage, all the buzz in that community? Well, like, when the show opened, uh, the Journal American, which is a paper that no longer exists, said, Kami's show opens at Phoenix. Uh, Howard De Silva, uh, directed it and, but it was integrated. It was naturally integrated, not unnaturally integrated. Explain. Well, uh, hello, Dolly, the white cast. Hello, Dolly, the black cast. Uh, Finian's Rainbow is the only thing I can think of offhand that, that was comfortably and happily, uh, integrated in that people of a certain time and, and, uh, uh and place lived in harmony together. You realize there are a bunch of people that are kind of listening who are, they just don't even understand. Like, not only were you there for the blacklist where people were afraid to practice art or couldn't practice art or were called communists. And whose lives were ruined because who were of that. Able to. You were also there for the integration of theater, uh, therefore uh, eventually all media. Like you, people uh, growing up in this day and age are just like, what do you mean? There was a time where they weren't, there weren't integrated casts. So whether integration has been achieved is, is, is a really know, a question I'm, in our time. If you look true. at any of the black <laughs> and white an casting buddies, no, you're, you're being an optimist. Uh, when I, when I look at some of the casting that goes on, uh, and I think how, how many amazing, there's a theater that Ralph Waite of the Waltons started uh-huh. called LAAT, mm. Los Angeles Actors Theater. And there was an incredible play, uh, called The Secret Place, written by Garrett Morris. And Morris? Garrett Morris from Saturday Night Live? First, yeah, a beautiful play. And there were two casts, uh, mostly black casts, directed by Bill Duke. Amazing. And I got called in to be stage manager there. You mm-hmm. know, Give me your valuables and try and write down the, the beautiful moves. Is but that I what mean, the job is? Explain that job for those that don't What a stage manager yeah, job yeah, yeah. is? I, I can, couldn't tell you because they were so hard up they asked me. And, uh, <laughs> I had just I had just uh, moved to Los Angeles and the show that I had come to Los Angeles to do, which was the last Smothers Brothers show, had been canceled. So there I was and happily found myself at this theater and began sweeping up. A stage manager... Uh, Calls, calls the lights in a little theater and takes valuables from the actors and. What do you mean valuable so they don't uh, get lost? You know, so they don't get lost or stolen backstage. <laughs> That's a big part yes. of the job. They're well, like, before we can theater. go do our act, we just need to know our shit's safe. Just the most, uh, magnificent, uh, black actors. Mm-hmm. Magnificent. And, um, working in this tiny theater, double casts, Paul Benjamin and, Oh, I can't, Bill Cobbs and Marilyn Coleman. I can't think of everybody's And when you say name. Bill Duke, do you mean the actor Bill Duke? Was, uh, well, Bill Duke is funny because he's, I think. He's been many things? Sister act- I think he was originally an actor who got mistaken for a director and then began to direct. <laughs> Which reminds me, Kevin Smith, you yes. know, I mean, not, not to get into the whole question of the difference between writing and acting. Yes. And the way you're doing both uh, in this incipient universe you're creating. Yeah. Um, I just believe in being a performer, an entertainer, I guess. I keep looking for a title, and director just felt the wrong. It didn't feel like it. And right now it's storyteller. But I, I don't know. It's, it's constantly anyhow, shifting. Yeah. Is, is that, I mean, not that 
It's the same way a so-called Renaissance person uh, might envy the concert violinists because they go to work and that's what they do. Right. And they're magnificent violinists instead of all this jack-of-all-trades uh, business. Right. You know, I wonder if I'm going to start making less sense. The 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 more you smoke and make more sense, will I make less sense? <laughs> we watch the teeter-totter. You're making mm-hmm. plenty. And, and I'm basically taking notes in my head because – you were jumping throughout history, and I'm like, oh, my God, i got to touch on that. I'm going to touch on that. Let's go back real quickly. to You said you came out to Los Angeles to be on the last Smothers Brothers show? Yes, I was. Um, How old? Every sense of the word. I I had done clubs in New York City. There was mm-hmm. a club called Upstairs, the Downstairs, Downstairs, at the Upstairs. This is around the time Joan Rivers goes blonde, and Barbara Streisand is singing at the Bonsoir, and we're wearing these fabulous little black dresses and I'm with Madeline Kahn and Fanny Flagg and Linda Lavin and Ruth Buzzy. And we're singing smart shishi stuff. And we're told to go to Chicago, you know, which is where a lot of the. Uh, Wait, st- you, okay. ju- you just dropped. The, I know. The I child dropped, in me was like, I dropped oh, my names. God. Like but you just I, listed one more time. Just list the ladies that you were saying that you were contemporaries of all wearing the black dress. List those names again. Madeline Kahn. Okay, and Madeline Fanny Kahn. Flagg one at a time. Madeline Kahn. Then Mel whom Brooks there is movies. No and and, and for, for those, I'm a genius. Yes. Singer, oh my God. All smart, over black. Marvelous. Uh, Fanny Flagg. Uh, she, she wrote Fried, Fried Green, Green Tomatoes. Tomatoes. She was also, wasn't she in Harper Valley PTA? I remember her as an actress also as a kid. She a was a writer big, and an actress and she was on and a big uh, game Alan show. Fun- big game show person too. Um, Candy Camera. Yeah, she was on camera. And huge in the game show world, too. As a kid growing up, you'd watch morning game shows. She was one, a perennial guest. And a writer. And, uh. And Fried Green Tomatoes. Yeah, huge, huge. Became a movie as well. Okay, that was the second one. Who, what was the other name you said? This is maybe in the 60s. Uh, Linda Lavin. Alice. TV's Alice, amongst other things. Broadway legend. Ruth Buzzy, the, um. Ruth Buzzy, uh, laughing and to say the least, Ruth Buzzy, comedy legend, who is now on Twitter. I just saw her is on Twitter. She? You, oh, I, you got to connect with such her. Such a gooder. She's so she's there. She, her, her Twitter is uh, adorable. She says something about like part of the four time Emmy Losers Club or something like that. Oh. But wow, those are so you're in that era. You know all these people and whatnot. And many people are going out to do um, to Hollywood, the Great Salt Lick, so to speak, and to start laughing. Uh, and I forget why I don't. Maybe I go on the road with m- some musical theater thing. I'm not, and uh, I'm not able to be sequential here. I should have brought my resume. No worries. The thing is, I was one of the last people, anyway, to be quote discovered. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kenny Solms and Gail Parent, who wrote together and did the Carol Burnett show, among other things, uh, called me. And I was in Pittsburgh. I had just helped to start a radio station. I was smoking a lot of pot. <laughs> I had had a kind of nervous breakdown. Why would you have, have the a, nervous breakdown? I, I had left a family that I was trying to be part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a nutshell, it was a widower and his three children. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that I had failed as a mother and a lover and housekeeper and all those things. It turned out later that... There had been a promise made on, on the deathbed of his mother that he wouldn't marry me because I was Jewish. But I didn't know that. Oh, so, good Lord. Um, anyway, it, it was four people to, to live through, uh, breaking up with, and it hit me belatedly. And I was doing Mr. Rogers at the time. And, um, at that time of life, 
I was doing Mr. Rogers show that was not in cruelty, but in exactitude, uh, a parody of what I had just lived through. Explain. Featuring a very rich woman named Miss Morgan uh, in an opera called All in the Laundry, who falls in love with a photograph of the back of a man's head and sets out to buy him. Uh, this is I on mean Mr. To Rogers? Say, I mean to say that Fred Rogers made sense of uh, one of several detours I had made from any sort of straight path uh, seeking love. Now, when you're fatherless, brotherless, um, wanting to know what men are and who, who they are and how to be a woman uh, with a man, uh, when you get caught in certain webs, which I certainly did because I was born yesterday, I was so young in every way, uh, had two really bad casting couch experiences, ah. which set me back quite a bit, never mind made me feel so foolish. And here I was coming off this, uh, the devastation of something that I'd hoped was going to be, uh, some kind of normalcy mm-hmm. instead of just, Oh, their mother died. I've got to go there and be the mother. Right. They need a mother. Right. I'll be the mother. Yeah, you're Mary Poppins. And, oh, uh, I sound flunked music. mother. Well, it's a sickness, you know. It's like you. When I listen to Jen sometimes on your wonderful broadcasts, I think, yeah, and we tried, but we just couldn't fix Vietnam. You know, <laughs> like God, we that, tried everything. Do you think it goes back to you were the older sister slash older brother? Well, d- wanting the older brother because I once heard a girl say. uh, I'll get my big brother after you. And I thought, oh, wow, wouldn't it be wonderful to be protected instead of to be the protector? Oh, my God. Even the imaginary protector. Do you yes, know what I mean? Yes. Like if my sister has a problem, I'm going to solve it. If my mother uh, is uh, is the embodiment of false cheer and everything's perfectly lovely and absolutely marvelous, as if instead of coming from my grandmother talked like this, you know, I... I, I Beautiful, beautiful accents, uh, Russian, and they spoke Russian and Polish and, and Yiddish and Hebrew, but they're very careful about American because maybe they would misspell it and their daughters taught them. But anyway, my mother with this marvelous cheer, you know, and everything's absolutely wonderful and perfectly marvelous. And me as a child saying, it is, that's not what I see. Uh, is she okay? You know, maybe she was trying to provide that balance of normalcy sure in a world was. where there was none. The father but was, but you know, gone. you can't fix that either. No. You can't fix the woman buked and scorned, and you can't fix the sister who envies you mm-hmm. and doesn't want to see you in the spotlight. You might lose the love, yeah, of your beloved sibling if you. So the theme song was "Mother, May I Go Out to Swim?" Yes, my darling daughter, hang your clothes on a hickory limb. But don't go near the water. Right. So it was so necessary, I thought. And so the habit of being necessary to someone to try to fix, help, save, Pull uplift, and all that stuff. But if you don't know who you are, Kev, yes, at all. How can you help others? And especially if people yourself? begin seeing you through the image. You know, the man who made clerks. Look, through clerks, with clerks, in clerks, through all the other permeations of creativity that you have done. Mm-hmm. All the films... All the films you've done, including this, this, this moment in our lives that we're living in front of the, the recording, uh, device. Yes. Uh, I, I, you know, I want to ask you, how can you let any critic? Yeah. 
tell you what kind of a filmmaker you are. Um, and I, I, it took a long time, but I learned you don't have to. Yeah, I, I learned ultimately, um, everyone's right at the same time. Uh, there is nobody wrong. Nobody's got a wrong take, even when they're seeing a seemingly completely different movie than the one I made. Art is an individual experience. Except Subjective. That, except that what if a person who doesn't have children, uh, uh, is is I don't know. Let's say, mm. okay, for you to mock Jersey Girl when I I as a mm-hmm. fatherless daughter would have given my eye teeth to see anything that would have represented such a kindly, happy interaction and spunk and truth telling. To uh, I love that film. Right. I love it. I don't care if the critics don't like it. It's like people accuse Salinger of 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 sentimentality or of loving his characters more than we do. I'm so tired of the accusations. And in this world, a little Valentine like that, to hear you begin to to uh, mock your own work, I couldn't bear it because, because I think I haven't seen really a film about a mother and a daughter that have that kind of communication. Of course, that's exactly what I wanted. Right, right, right. Yeah, we all find our own coping mechanisms um you know we try to climb a hill if we don't quite make it in the estimation of others um we we try to cope and what, for me box my office wise you know, yeah and oh. under reviews and stuff like that and it wasn't until like you know you move on in age or you get past it where you're just like oh that wasn't the end of the world and they would have me believe on that friday that it was all done and i was done and the movie was terrible and what a waste of time and well all what's that. the difference between action and reaction Good point. To what extent are you still reacting to the the devastating pain of, of of being put in some kind of a a box? I don't know, but I've I've never I'm confl- I'm always be conflicted about that because I'm like there's no pain. You're making pretend for a living. You have to enjoy whatever space they give you in the box. And and for me, I you know you look around. So many people actually work for a living in this world. I came from parents that worked for a living. I know people who still work for a You're living. You're a crazy worker. Oh, You're but that's what I mean. Work. I mean like work. it's never work, Betty. If you get up and you don't mind it. If you get up and you're like, I I'm ready it. to go, then it's not work. But. I know people who worked. I watched my father work for years and years and I was just like, I can't do that. Like I don't have the back that he has. I don't have the spine, the, with the integrity that he must have. He kept doing it. I could never even start that life. I, I just knew I, it wasn't in me. And so I chose the easy path. Now I can do a bunch on the easy path, like keep a bunch of plates spinning, but all of it's creative. All of it comes from imagination. People like my father or people like my friends who actually still work for a living. No part of their job is like, let me sit here and imagine how it could be better. Let me imagine something. Let me create something from scratch. It's all about kind of here's your task, perform your task, we'll give you money for that. In our line of work, it's kind of cooler because, yeah, there's a certain amount of like, here's your task, we'll pay you for that task. But our task is unlike most other people's tasks because the task is like make pretend. Make this happen. Make this unreal thing come to life. Give us a representation of this particular feeling. Uh, show me what it'd be like if uh, th- this person was talking to this person in an imaginary universe. It's a weird job that, like, when you've grown up blue collar, it's tough to justify, like, this is my job for a living. You know, it, you feel weird. You feel so strange going like, yeah, I, I, for years I couldn't even tell people. Uh, what I did as a director, cause it feels so goofy. They're like, what do you do? And you're like, I, 
I go up to people and say, you should say this and you should say this and you should like look like you mean it and you should be like hurt by it. Mm-hmm. And then you say something funny and we'll do, do something else. That's, that's a bizarre job, man. That's almost like being the third in a, in a creepy constant three way where you're just directing people. You do this, you do that to that person. Like it was weird because I remember being a kid playing doctor, um, with a girl and a guy uh, behind somebody's house when I was six years old. And the guy, and they were all, we were all six. We weren't creepy about it. It was just a doctor type situation. But there was one dude who was kind of like, you do this, you do this. The boy, there was me, him, and this girl. And the boy was being very, he knew what was in, what was supposed to go on. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, who knows why? Maybe there's some bad story in the background of that. But this dude was essentially directing, you do this to him. He, he does this to you. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, why are we listening to this guy? Like I, I went through with it, but I'm like, I think we should have done this and this and this. And I, I think that's where the kind of instinct to like, oh, you know what you're doing. The directorial instinct, I guess, was born because I was like, after it was all done, I still think back on that moment. I was six years old. I'm going to be 41. So it was 35 years ago. I still think back on that doctor moment behind the house and how I could have improved if, if I was in charge. And I think that's where the creative instinct kind of comes from. You have that kind of thing where you're just like, no, I, I know how everything should look because you're constantly fashioning a world that doesn't exist. And if somebody wants to pay you to do that for a living, it's so tough to like stand next to somebody who gets paid to like, I lifted fucking brick up three flights of stairs. The dude you were talking about, I, I fucking, my hair blew back. I forgot to dig those fucking tunnels. How many people take those path mm-hmm. train tunnels constantly, go through the Holland Tunnel, Lincoln Tunnel, or back the and Verrazano, forth? Or the Verrazano where men are in the concrete? Still in the concrete. How many fucking concrete. people died to just so we could commute? that? And then you sit there going, and they're like, what do you do for a living? And you're like, um... I, I don't say anything, and I flip my baseball cap backwards. Well, wait a minute. And we <laughs> honor them. Our work isn't worth anything unless it's the kind of ministry you describe, and it's less about saying, well, I think I'll be a filmmaker. It's like if you can't help who you you are created to be. Right. You, as far as I can see, you're always working. Yes, but it's not conventional oh, work. It's like, it's, it's like the idea <laughs> of to work. those – much to whom much is given much will be demanded and and how can you how would there be enough much in the world to bring whether it be a, a belly laugh to a hard working person of right. a kind you or or a, you're going or, or on Sullivan's mother. travels on me right now man. Ooh, I'm sorry there's that moment that beautiful moment at the end of the movie he spends his, all of his time you know the, the, most cats I maybe haven't even seen that movie it's a beautiful it's a beautiful allegory movie. particularly for and it's a it's a real pass for those of us who like to make people laugh you know what I'm saying in terms of like what is our place in the in what is our place in in the universe uh is there anything noble to our profession it's about a director who makes nothing but dopey comedies who wants to go out and make a very serious movie called oh brother where art thou which the coen brothers appropriated for a movie years later as a kind of way way inside film joke um oh brother where art thou is an important film that sullivan wants to make uh and and the studio doesn't want him to make it because it's so dry and he's all about making comedies and there's a dude who's like there's one scene where he's just like you know i want to go out and and uh, live out of garbage cans and then the studio exec is like you say you want to live out of garbage cans what do you know about garbage cans the whole movie is about like you're in this privileged position appreciate it because what you do is in its own way important sullivan goes out in the world and meets veronica lake amongst other people has a vast adventure but eventually winds up in a 
prison camp of sorts, like a, like a, I guess that's what it would be, like a road work camp, like when you're in jail but not in jail, but you're kind of like they could put you in the hot box and stuff like that. Living, you know, breaking rock and cleaning up side road, whatever, hardened criminals. All chained together and whatnot. Oh, don't get me started on the prison system in this country. Uh, yeah, Let me put a sock in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, Sullivan, eventually, uh, they have a movie night. And uh, they wind up watching... Uh, one of his films. One of his films. Yes. And everyone's going crazy. Like, all the, all these dudes who are all misery all day long with faces, like, hitting the ground and just lives in hell. He sees, like, the impact that his There's dopey value. little... Yes. There's there is value in it. That's a be- it's a beautiful movie made by an artist for artists as a past to be artists. It's one of those, uh, you know, thank God it was Preston Sturgis, if I remember correctly. I think so. Thank God, because it is one of those flicks you can always kind of stand behind when you work in the arts school. Like, well, well you know, what we do is important because it makes people laugh or it makes people think whether or makes people compare, feel. Whether you can compare it or not with hard labor. Mm-hmm. Would it be the hard labor of uh, being unjustly sentenced in, in an insane prison system? I mean, we can't even get into everything just now, Kevin. Like, right. You know, molecules of radioactivity uh, wafting our way, the imposition of, you know, a media that my generation doesn't even begin to understand, never mind yours, that swims in it, or your daughter who is, you know, completely at home uh, yeah. in the it, element it, of it. Yeah. You know, the whole question of whether you're going to be ruled by fear or some kind of faith, which brings me back to there's no better preparation for even mini faith mm-hmm. than orthodox atheism. Really? You couldn't have a better, I mean, yeah, maybe it would be better to have been uh, in your Bible parables of your, as, right. a, as a Jesus love the little children, whatever right. you got to sing, you right. know. Yeah, we were indoctrinated young. Uh, so much so that it's a, it's a, I'm constantly in conflict with the, uh, with the, well, the religious question I'm no longer conflict with because I, I figured that out. That's, you got to go higher than that. That's not, you which know, is what you say to the Phelps, you know, which is why they can't answer you. No. And they, I mean, they're just a bizarre conundrum that kind of cancel themselves out by virtue of the fact that they're, they stop at one part of the Bible. They're in a closed system, definitely. And then Bible bang in the first, the Old Testament, never gone like turning the page to like, and then if you believe this stuff, which they identify as Christian, they say they do. If you identify as Christian, you got to flip the page and get to Jesus, where he's all about. Never mind the old law. I'm the new law, and the new law is this: love God with your whole heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So at that point, it cancels out all the fire and rhetoric they like to use. But those cats stand beyond that first first act of the Bible, man, the Old Testament one. I love the idea that he should be snapping the wheat heads off and feeding his disciples and, <clears throat> and the mucky mucks are saying, see, that's what I believe certain scenes in certain films do. Right. And, and whether they be erudite film critics or, or just people who are outraged that certain subjects or language should be shown – People say, oh, he's, you know, he's desecrating the Sabbath. And, and, and Jesus says, uh, the Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. Hmm. Nice. I mean, see, yeah, that's coming from free. an Orthodox atheist right there. Well, you know, the, the thing was when I, uh, actually, the only time I actually realized that there might be a realm beyond this one was in the arms of a Catholic who was so, uh, moral. Mm hmm. 
that he said to me that he just could not, he could see that I was getting really fond of him. Mm -hmm. And he didn't want to use me for sex. Mm -hmm. So he had to leave. I thought, what kind of a macabre God? I said, wait a minute. You just showed me seventh heaven. I want more of the same. And the guy's like, it's been real. I'll see you later because I can't uh, use you. Like, huh? Huh? You Wait can. a minute! I'll go blonde. Uh, I'll, what, what, do you, what do you want? You want a thin person? You want you know? Just tell me what it is, because because uh, it's like the the old idea of one is too many, a hundred is not enough. You know, right. whatever it is, it's like the shape shifting uh, hunger, strictly from hunger. Right. But this dude was all about, uh, hey man, I got to answer in the afterlife, so I got to leave right now. This dude was like a. Uh, Oh, I just happened to stumble upon someone who's never been sure uh, what it might be to be uh, the other half of the apple, and she's experienced bliss uh, in my arms, and she happened to see God, and, uh, you know, this is a one-night stand for me. This is not, <laughs> I was like, I better, I better nip this in the bud. Honey, I don't know how to break it to you, but... Uh, I, you know, uh, there's a difference between love and use and I'm not going to use you and I'll see you later. And so I had nowhere else to go. Now I had seen, uh, ecstasy or an ecstatic realm or something that I, I thought was just some kind of a make believe like Mr. Rogers neighborhood. Tell me another, where is there a place where people say hello to the postman? Hello, hello, Mrs. So-and-so I'm from New York. You know, (laughs) how are you doing, Betty? What do they mean by that? How am I doing? Betty? You know, I didn't, what? You know, and I, here I am like this bad news shadow, Fred bringing him all the bad news about divorce and death and, you know, but, but that's, that's a digression. But the point is that it was my being devastated and rejected. Right. That made you by think the thing that I needed so God. much. I knew, I, I knew there was something, but I didn't know what it was. And I knew that the, the Old Testament God, what, what would he want with me? Right. I had already gone in so many terrible detours looking for love, <laughs> looking for love, you know, cause if you, for some of us, finding love is more important than anything. So they offer you a starring part in something. You say, gotta go. Right. You know, so all these digressions over love that, uh, I figured the, the God that people talked about, the Old Testament God. Right. What do you want with me? Right. It's like famines in Africa and stuff like this. But the idea that Jesus was Jewish. Right. What? You mean, wait a minute. I thought, you mean he's Unza? You know, he's what? <laughs> oh, you, really? Right. Oh, so I thought, okay. And so what if I had this brother who um, was in with the Most High, but, you know, he... He had to be on earth. He had to find a place behind the bushes to do his business. And, you know, uh, and, uh, he had a sense of humor. Right. And, uh, I think maybe I'll talk to him. And that was Jesus? That's the first time. No, that's, that's the first time I ever got down on my little knees because I couldn't make this guy love me. Right. I couldn't fix Vietnam. I couldn't, didn't know who I was. Right. Always trying to be who you want me to be. Da 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 da. Yeah. Rolls. You know, I mean that what performers kind of are. Oof, beats me. I can't do time. I'll tell you after I figure it out on my fingers. But um This one last week. This is a couple decades back. I think I I think it was around uh eighty two, something like that. 
or it was gradual. Right. At first, there was a thing like, well, well, what is this Christian thing? What do they do? And, you know, the homeless woman says, is being thrown out of a church in Greenwich Village. And, and, uh, and she says to you, can I use your bathroom? And you think to yourself, well, if I were a Christian, how would I answer this question? <laughs> I have to say, well, a Christian would say yes, okay. So then you say yes, and then, uh, you know, somebody homeless winds up living with you, you know, for a while. Is, this, is that, hap- that, that, that happen to you? you? Know, that's one of the things that happened because for us converts or whatever you want to call us, or I think it's like a continual conversion, which is like trying to say to you, well, well, these are not sequences, you know. Then he, first he did clerks and then he did this right. and then he did this and then he did, you no, know, it's like the rings on a tree, you know. And mm. some of us are fearfully attached to that tree because it was like, oh, wait a minute, listen to what this man is saying. So wait a second, you, you try on Christianity. No, and- I mean, that's all I knew about it. it was like, well, if I were a Christian, how would I answer a question like that? And all kinds of, one, one night this, this girl who had been staying with me a while ran out, uh, into the snow. To go to some kind of a Catholic same, church. Same person? Same person. Homeless person. Turns out she was from Syracuse and had mistaken Jesus for her father, who was police chief. So she was always like, she just couldn't wait for God to take her. Okay, sir. Yes, I will, sir. Oh, whatever you say, sir. Yes, I will. I, I gave up everything. Uh, I, I, you know, you're the way. You're the, you're the truth. You're, you know, she was to like Joan of Arc with a, a, Joan of Arc with a serious, cool cigarette, Jones. Runs away barefoot. She had run away from uh, Ward Island, which is a nut house in in the city. Uh-huh. And um, once you've had any kind of mental breakdown, it's no longer somebody eating garbage out of a a garbage can. It's it could be you. Right. How long did she live with you? Uh, uh for I I can't remember because I can't do time. But she was with me a little bit, you know. And how did that end? Well, I was trying to quote help her. Right. You, know, you can't. I couldn't fix that. Does she just I, but, but, but the one end morning? of this particular story is just that she's running away and she's going to mass somewhere, and I'm bringing her her shoes, following her to, to the church, and and she's going to mass and there's a priest coming out and 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 I say, are you allowed? Would I be allowed to go in there? And he says, as long as you don't mind contact with Rome. I didn't know what he was talking about, but that was my first. Uh, Communion, in a way, <laughs> right? And then, so at that point, did she go? She away went back. She, she went back uh, to. Uh, well, you can see that we were both higher than a kite in those times. Right. She, from what she was going through, and me, from this idea that there might be a higher reality than the one that I had uh, been. been indo- I was as much indoctrinated in my atheism as you might have been in your Catholicism, right? Well, wow, that's weird. So it would be like me suddenly waking up one day going, mm, God might not exist kind of thing. Well, you have Jen. <laughs> yeah. Who tells me every fucking well, waking no, moment of my thing life. Is, that's God so does gorgeous. Not that is so gorgeous about your union because you have everything in it. Mm-hmm. And you have Harley and some pretty swell people for family and, and family to be part of a family like this. I remember my first audition with you. And, and I was certain that I hadn't gotten it. And I just turned to the door and said, you know, and, um, please keep me in the files, you know, cause I want to be part of your repertory company. When you came in the door, you didn't, you got it the moment you came in the door. Cause we were just like, is that, is that Lady Aberlin? Cause we were, you know, me and Scott were of age at that point. And they were like, yeah, yeah. I was like, what? And then we made the connection 
uh, of Pittsburgh of like, oh, Fred Rogers, man. That's what, this is where they shoot it and whatnot. We codenamed the movie. We couldn't call it Dogma while we were shooting because, uh, the boy, number one, there was already some stink about like, hey, this is the anti-Catholic movie. The Catholic League had already started kind of sniffing around and making noise about the movie. And, and the boys, uh, Ben and Matt had just won an Oscar and we were shooting in Western Pennsylvania. So we, uh, the studio Miramax was like, shoot under a different name, a different, you know, a code name or something as if that would put people <laughs> off the smell. You know what I'm saying? Essentially like they didn't want signs hanging up that said two dogma set. And it, it just, they just wanted to be a bit more anonymous. So we had to come up with an alternative name and the name we came up with was bear claw. Which, yeah. yeah, yeah, I was everywhere. And it was just a dopey joke between me and Scott, um, about Mr. Rogers, how he owned Pittsburgh. It was his town. We painted him as kind of like a Donald Trump type secretly. Oh, yeah. And he, uh, a lot and of he, truth in that. Is it really? Mm-hmm. He, uh, we, we would say that he was uh, like, he'd tell people like, my nickname is Bear Claw. And they were like, why? He's like, fuck him hung like a bear claw. Like, you know, the big Danish kind of thing. <laughs> and that pastry? was. Tasty? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tasty and huge. And, uh, that was how we, that's how we, we came up with, with dogmas. The title we shot under was Bear Claw was based on that. So we had a, a Fred Rogers familiarity, but then when you came through the door, we're like, oh my God, this is fucking perfect. And then for you to play the, the nun in the movie, not only did you play it, you took it and fucking ran with it, man. And it was like, I remember being in the cutting room because these were the days where I would cut after the movie was shot, not while I was shooting. Being in the cutting room, putting that scene together and seeing you in the background continue the scene with the beer and the dance and everything. And I was just like, oh, isn't that awesome? She kept giving. Some people execute. You elevated. It, you it was let be- me. Do you so remember? Nice. Because, you know, because I practiced being killed by a hockey stick. Right. If you recall, that was my audition. Did I ever practice? Oh, man, I hope they... Hope they find this believable. Right. And I had come from the lady who answers the door. Yes. 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 Still don't have an agent. Don't can't do the one casting person in Pittsburgh happened to have a daughter who and and I said, I hear Kevin Smith is doing a film in Pittsburgh. And she said, yeah, there's nothing in it for you. And I said, well, I don't care what it is. And and, and no matter how tiny. So I came from New York to 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 be killed by a hockey star. Right. Right. I had never gone to that length. What, me spend money? Please. So it, and, it was a reason. And then after the audition, was certain I hadn't gotten it, went back to New York and found on my answering machine, Betty, where are you? They, so the whole thing, including this moment in time, you know, mm-hmm. mighty dreamlike, you know, it's very row, row, row your boat. <laughs> Explain that. Life is but a dream. And then this blissful experience of red state came along and people who didn't know me at all very well in the little town where I was hiding said to me, Betty, what's with you? It's, it's like you're coming alive. And this is just the preparation for coming out. Right. Cause I had, uh, had, I don't know, a bad time in, in, in LA. Uh, and so my, my take on LA, the sour grapes, you know, was, Oh, I've been to L.A. But Smothers it, Brothers, to come yeah, out to work Smothers on the Smothers Brothers. Brothers, where they said, well, you can't live elsewhere. You have to move to Los Angeles. And I moved to Los Angeles, and they canceled the show. It it lasted, I think, a full season. And I know we had guests like, uh, I, I remember Red Fox, and Johnny Carson looked like if you put a finger in his cheek, it would stay indented. I I didn't wear the right shoes for Hollywood. 
I didn't drive the right car, but I didn't know that there was a, a system in place. I was just so happy to work. It was high you, school. You asked me whether I wanted to be an actress. I just wanted to work the way the postal worker works, the way the dentist works, the way the dancer works. That was, I wasn't allowed to aspire for that because right. some of the, uh, my family was like, keep a low profile. Look what happened in Auschwitz. Hello. You know, they didn't discuss it, but you right. weren't to, you weren't to call attention to yourself. And there, my sister and I in the city, in the subways with the guys unzipping in front of you when you're little children. Hello. You know, the world was a little dangerous. So you kept a they low profile. They would do that on the subway. My yeah. would just expose themselves. Oh, yeah. Like when you're a little girl. And you guys were just like, what? <laughs> Gotta go. I mean, as a child, I learned, uh, th- you know, first of all, I pretended I wasn't afraid of anything. Right. Tried to manifest for my sister an impenetrable calm. No biggie. Ah, oh, we have to go now, Allie. If there was danger, right. slow down instead of speed up, all that stuff. So you would modulate. So, so you're on a train, threatening situation, stranger exposes himself, and rather than be like, ah, I'm freaking out for your sister, you're just like, we gotta go now, let's da, go. Da, let's, yeah. That's let's, New York. Let's get, off, let's get off at this step, Allie, okay? Inside are you Hold on fire? On or are, uh, inside uh, are you Like I said, I had to, well? I had to pretend to be fearless, so it wasn't until I was uh, chronologically a good deal older that I began to experience fear. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was. Right. I'd been pretending that I wasn't for so long. Uh, and that's, that had something to do with deciding that my reality was so askewed, you pardon the word, <laughs> that, um, I, somebody once told me about mescal and they said, look, before you take it, why don't you just be sure that you know that the sky is blue and the grass is green? Cause if you don't, I wouldn't bother with it. Speaking of Red Fox, you know, he offered me a co- cocaine. Do you, do you say no thank you, Mr. Red Fox, sir? Did you? It, yeah, and it didn't do very much for me besides too expensive a drug. So, no, I was like a mixed marriage like you and Jen. You right. know, I did pot and he did alcohol and I couldn't keep up with the alcohol thing. But at a certain point, having gotten into a great deal of trouble self-medicating, as I saw it, mm-hmm. uh, I decided that I would just put everything down till only food remained. Right. And that's another story. I'm two weights in Jersey girl, by the way. I yeah. I remember. That, right? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I was so worried about it. And Nobody I ever known you'd understand. Totally. But didn't and for the Smothers brothers thing. It ends. They cancel it. Do you immediately come back home? No, I was in an interminable showcase at the, I think it was called the call board that Viola Spolin, who started all the, um, uh, uh, Second City. Second City. Oh, my bad. Oh, I so where before, uh, you know, people t- told me, you should go to Second City. People out of Chicago, my first acting teacher in the world was uh, Bern Piven, who was the father of Jeremy Piven, who was the teacher of Joan Cusack and John Cusack, a genius person. I was at the call board and it was an endless, endless thing. What is the call board? It's a small theater in Los Angeles where uh, we did a show called Metamorphosis based on Greek myths mm-hmm. uh, in a style called story theater, which had some marvelous people in it. Um, I want to say Clifford Arquette. I could be wrong about that, though. One of the Arquettes? Well, it was Rosanna Arquette's first show. Mm-hmm. Oh, get out of here. No, she's absolutely marvelous. It was a musical and we, it was just endless. I think, uh, I think Sally Struthers, uh, was in part bankrolling us. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
you ask me, did I want to be an actress? I never had that kind of a goal. Right. You know, a goal is like Madeline Kahn knew where she was going and she knew her worth. Barbara Streisand. Right. Oh, Barbara, don't go out there. I mean, oh, Barbara, you're so, they'll say you're a pushy New York Jew. Oh, Barbara, oh, oh. And you know? she seemed to do quite well. She seemed to do quite well because she believed in her gifts. And uh, in my family, they said, well, we think you're wonderful, but we're prejudiced. So I didn't really know, you know. But are you? what's a nice Jewish girl doing in that kind of business? Wasn't anybody in my family had ever done it, so there right. wasn't any knowing. And it would have been like poor form to have contacts that might have helped you. Oh, Absolutely. please. Right, right. Well, that meant that in, if you're in L.A., you, you rent a mailbox where the casting call comes in. Mm. And seven other actors have a key to the mailbox, and you desperately look it up. And one of them said, this is a part Girl steps out of car, gets blown up. And I thought, oh, mom, it's at the very beginning of the film. Don't play. It might be under the credits, you know. We're going to finish Los Angeles. And when you came back, at what point do you finally go, forget it, I'm going back east? And again, you're not good with dates, but how long after the Smothers Brothers thing goes belly There up? was a writing workshop uh, in Bennington, Vermont. Uh-huh. And so you're like, I'm going to go back for that. I'll go back for that. But I was afraid to come back to L.A. because I was afraid I would stay here. Every time I come here, it's like the poppy field in... Uh, in uh, Wizard of Oz. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> not only Land of Nod, but so dreamlike and uh, pretty much only one season and the gorgeous ocean and the right. beautiful people. And It is kind of like living in a painting most days and a very pop art painting, nothing classy. What's his name? Yeah, I can't think of his name. David somebody, Hockney. <laughs> might be a Hockney yeah. piece, or it might just be a a pleasant, soothing piece in a doctor's or a dentist's office where you go, oh, that just looks nice. That's kind of what like being out here is to some degree. So you wait, you eventually you hey, went back to the Maybe we're painting on the wall. It is a contact high. Maybe <laughs> we're a, pa- a living painting on the wall in some, some guy's dental office in the future now. I'll take know? it. <laughs> is the life within like the frame the spine for me? Like the computer that totally. start nodding till you look at them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so you go back east for the Vermont thing to uh, for a writing. Yeah, and workshop. I write the L.A. story. Uh huh. And John Gardner is a teacher there, and I write the L.A. Malamud said to me, I was a student of Bernard Malamud, and he said, "You, Betty, it's, you you've got to stop writing. Uh, stop doing sh- this showbiz stuff and just concentrate on writing." Mm-hmm. And I said, hil, hil, hil. "You know, would you ask Chekhov to give up medicine?" Right. That was my little talk about Renaissance and where you put your focus and the fact that you it doesn't have to be either film right. or. Spin a bunch of plates. Circus universe. Yes. Spin a bunch of plates so Everything. that you're never bored. Cause uh, one thing ends. Never been. And then you gotta start another thing again. I've always felt it's just easier to keep many things going at once because then it never ends. And you wake up every day and go like, hey, there's something to do. But and you, it's creative but and fun. You're more conscious of the, uh, evanescence of life than any man I've ever heard. No. Yes, you have this whole, you, didn't you have this whole prophecy about how you would only live to make so many films and blah, not blah, not blah. so much live, didn't but you? I always figured that I had like ten scripts in me, and uh, and it proved to be true. Now some people what, be like, gonna, well, that's self fulfilling. Yeah, what is it? What I mean, who are you to predict how many scripts you have in you? He's like, well, the guy that's that has it. to put my fingers I, on I the keyboard. I did Red State, and there's the hockey film, and that's it because I'm sure I won't ever have a creative 
Uh, so I'm packing it in before you. But that's the thing. I'll write. If I have a screenplay in me that I desperately need to, to write, I'll totally write it. I just don't want to direct it anymore. It's such an expensive, uh, ridiculous art form, uh, that, that if you have any sort of, Guilt about well, other people's money. I thought so. I it has, it's so. a, I it's tough. It's a tough living to make because you sit there going like, if I was a painter, I've said a few places now. If I'm a painter, I can just take a blank canvas, put some marker on it, yes. and hey man, I can show you some art. Uh, if I was a songwriter, I don't need much more than my imagination. That's and like moral scrupulosity. You've got it bad, baby. Yes. Oh, oh but I know. You I'm do. a filmmaker, and the problem with that is to express myself. My art requires me to go, um, I've got an idea, man. I need a hundred people and, and $20 million. 17 elephants. Yeah. It's just too ridiculous. And, and I, I don't know. At the end of the, when, when you're, I get it. I've seen the movies and I've, I've had my Sullivan's Travels moment many times where, you know, you're watching people interact with the movie and what it does for them. We've just spent all this time on the road with Red State and it, watching it. I've watched it with every audience. It's amazing. But then I think about how long it took to pull that all together, four years to find that money. And all those people had to be like, please do this for next to nothing. Come out and just like, we'll figure it out. And it was worth it. It was beyond yeah, it was worth so it. So much work. Look at, we're sitting down to me, conversation we're having far more vastly interesting. Why? None of the shit's made up. It all happened. These are all choices you made and fashioned a life, a life behind a life that most people kind of identify with you on the surface, identify you with on the surface. Like, oh, it's the Lady Aberlin. And then all of a sudden you sit there telling the various, uh, threads and, and, um, and rings in the tree, if you will, of the life that made you not only, uh, Lady Aberlin, but everything else that you've been. That's way more interesting to me than like, all right, there's a, Weird, uh, religious extremist church that's b- uh, buried in the subterranean chapel somewhere in of Betty's heart. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's just. Like it's, the, the, I mean, I am. I'm. I am. I mean, weird is not a word that my generation used very much. Uh, nor did I expect myself to. I was starting to say about how you don't have yesterday's faith today. So, so no matter what we call whatever it is. Mm. The idea of going on, whether it be out of a sense of guilt, out of a sense, as you have mentioned, of seeing the way the wind is in these times, mm. or not wanting to spend somebody's hard-earned money to create something that that it's anybody's guess whether anyone will have enough money to pay a movie ticket to see it. Totally. And you have that caution about, I think that's one of the reasons I count myself one of your fans because you have that sensibility and you actually understand what it is to hire the babysitter and it's yeah you don't stop being no the boy you might have grown you don't stop being the kevin who might now be in highlands right. still well it's all the thought that the only reason like i could go out there with the red state tour and be like hey man come pay a bunch of money to come see me in the movies a They'll already pay to see me by myself without the movie. I felt like the movie was a free bonus. But more importantly, I realized we're working on a different economy here than most other people. We give out so much for free. Like people are going to listen to this and it's free and it will enrich some lives. Some people will be baffled by it. Some people will be entertained by it. But there are some people going to hear it and it's going to change them. It's going to enrich their lives. And that was free. And a person like that, you hit them. You hit them with a good idea, it sinks in, they take that into their life and it improves their life in some way, or even if you just make them giggle or make them laugh, but more importantly, if you make them think, make them feel, and show them 
that they're not alone. Think about it. Like when you were a kid, it would yeah, just been so nice. That's what makes us so sick. That's, yes. It'd be nice. It would have been nice to just know, oh my God. There are other people. Just like you. There's yeah. a whole world out there. I'm people not like so you. special. Well, it's, it's the, the thing is you are, but you're not. At the same time, you're a special individual, but guess what? There's a whole community full my of special family, and individual people. Yeah. Who don't think like your family, but think like you instead. That to me was always important. I was never the one of these like, I'm alone in the world people, but I'd hang out with my friends. And you know, the shit that I care about wasn't the same shit that they cared about. And you would look at things in a completely different way than they would, a view askew, if you will. And you would always kind of, it was, they were up here on the surface and you were kind of, no, 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 there's way more underneath. Like, this is the important Infinitude. stuff. Yeah. It was, you know, you just wanted to meet, know that there were more people like that out there. And then you do, you get into the, community of the arts and you're like yes there, there's a bunch of people like this and they some people act and some people write music and some people paint and some people uh, just talk you know that the, the art conversation is their art spalding gray these are the people that like did it for me like i think i love to just sit there and do the podcast because i loved spalding gray's monologues and to me i'm like well okay, let's just do a monologue as a dialogue essentially two people telling a story and not like a prepared kind of script or anything. Just like there's everyone has an individual story, right? And they're all fucking fascinating. Doesn't matter who you are or how quote unquote small the life you feel you've lived is. Like oh, yes. I, my biggest regret oh, in this absolutely. life is I never got to sat down and do this with my father oh. who lived by all accounts and his own account a very small life. But I know Donald. he didn't. Yes. I know he didn't. I know that there were layers there. I know that like. He is, was as big as an adventure as everybody's. Everybody's got an adventurous life. And it's very easy to kind of sit down and talk to people who do something high profile. Um, it's way more about what they're doing in that moment in time. And that's what you see in entertainment journalism all the time. It's like, I'm Nicolas Cage and I'm here to talk about Sorcerer's Apprentice or whatever the fuck I'm working mm -hmm. on at the moment. But you're not going to really get to know Nicolas Cage at all. He's just out there kind of vending his product. So much more interesting to sit down with somebody who maybe is in the arts or in your case spread out across so many arts over so many decades and at that point get to know them and find out why because we're all vessels of useful information to the next generation it's so important to reach back because what what the fuck else do you do with everything that you've accrued all this information that you've been storing and learned from you can put it into a book and sell it or you can just pass it on to other people and be like let me tell you this will make it easier on you. And yeah, be sure you see this movie. Be sure you read this book. Yeah, or even that, or just even the stupid inconsequential be ways sure of like... Be sure you talk to the stranger next to you. Yes, or be sure that if you're feeling this, don't worry, it's fine. If you, be sure, you know, it's, you can, you're different than other people, and that's not a bad thing, and it's that, that, don't let somebody stifle that or, or put that light under a bushel just because they can't categorize or classify you very simply. Jock, smart kid, uh, whatever, you know, the drama Fartsy, fag. Fartsy. That's what we were. Yeah, we were, I was drama fag. You guys are drama fags. I was like, is that what it is? All right. It, the, people want to classify you as quickly as possible. And it's even harder to classify you if you live in a non-artsy world. Like where I, Betty says La La Land. Everyone is, even the guy bagging your groceries is has working on a script and has a dream about telling stories there out here. There is that community here, though. Huge community. I, I mean, the good side of it is that you are kicking it around with people 
who are interested in ideas. And, Always and, great to be around like-minded individu- individuals who are just like, oh, I like that too. I'm in, I mean, look at, look at the people that she threw out that she came up with. Uh, Madeline Kahn, Ruth Buzzy, all these oh. cats. Like-minded individuals who, Became huge fucking names. Those are names that I know from my. Yes, and youth. sometimes when they're names, they can't talk to you anymore because yeah. you knew them when and and uh, you know some when someone lives on Park Avenue, uh, it's a more of a Park Avenue life. But you know, I can't get over the fact that some some people are he- we're we're here for a minute and a half, Kev. Yeah. You know? Oh, and I I, I think I said to you and and John. Uh, how can it be that that Barbara Streisand, which I, ha- I haven't seen the film, is stuck in the Fockers and Meryl Streep in Mamma Mia, right. and I get to do Red State? There's no justice. It's amazing. You're you know very sweet. A, you know, those no, two chicks you know are just like, hello, but hey, man. wait a minute. Oh, look, <laughs> Here's, look at my bank account. No, no, it's look not about award. That's the whole difference between the bank account mm-hmm. and the art. Between reading the book for the book or reading it for the part that might be in it for you. Mm -hmm. The thing is, Red State is actually about something. Mm -hmm. So is Dogma. So is Chasing Amy. I, I don't know all your work, but, but I have an envy for the kind of uh, time of life that you grew up in. Okay. I have a sister, my beloved sister Mm -hmm. and, she can't get past the profanity. I'm like, wait a minute, you don't understand. I got a lot. Of, I, I got come a mother, in, beloved mother, can't get past the profanity sometimes. We're here and gone. You know, Madeline's gone. Yeah. Or she's in the beyond, where she and Donald are hanging out. Uh, you know, watching over our interview. Maybe I don't mm. know. How does it happen that we should be alive and get to hang out? Uh, we we spun the right plates, man. I mean, I guess talk we're about lucky the burden ones. of gratitude. I mean, yeah, but it- you see things. But that's why you're a beautiful presence to have around. That's why I've long considered you like uh, the Pixar boys always use and girls always use uh, what's his name, Cliff Clavin, John Ratzenberger. He's always a voice in everything uh-huh. they do and stuff. And you're kind of like that for us, but because you're a great presence to be around, you are the person that's just like I got to be in Red State. Mm-hmm. And old Meryl Streep, she got to be in Mamma Mia. Who's the winner? And you're uh, like, hello, I know who's the winner. Out of your mind, you, but you're, am, beat, you're marching am. to the beat of a different drum. Most cats would be like, lady, you could do a Mamma Mia, you could do a hundred red states after you do one Mamma Mia and stuff like no, that. No, no. But you worked, oh, do you worked, you worked with like Meryl Streep. I worked with Meryl Streep. Yeah. What, and you played a sister, her sister? I played her sister in, uh. You can't uh, escape that sister role in this life. Now. I tell you, it's typecasting. Yeah, it is a little mm-hmm. bit. Were you younger or older, sister? I was older than Meryl Streep. No, in the in the play, she was Alice. Alice yeah, Alice in Wonderland's oldest older sister. So you were the older sister. I was the older sister. But that's that's a that's quite a a side story. The thing is, I mean, the people that that's I Joe revere. Pa- that's not a side story. Well, you got to take the credit every once in a while. Joe Papp production. That please, Alice man. I, I played an oyster. Cut to the airport scene in Dogma, talking about the difference between the carpenter yes, and the oyster. Yes, Hello, yes. it is a neighborhood. Yes, there's there's a, a, a something at work here that's far more infinite even than the computers that we're building. As far as the connections, the connections that are that are made. Directed by Emil Artelino. 
yes. In the guy the, who did the, Dirty Dancing and Sister Act. That was the television version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Debbie Allen was in it. Because you had been on a long on a uh, they had run as a play for a while, and then finally wait, it, somebody shot it. It opened at the public theater. At Joe uh, Pap's Amanda public. Plummer was in it. Um, oh gosh, Mark no, Lynn Baker. Yes, Michael and, Jeter. Yes, that's whose name I was thinking of. Yeah, and that was a. Uh, I'm trying to, Andre Serban, uh, would sit with his coat over his head when he couldn't think of what would come next. And Liz Suedos did the music. And Lewis Carroll. Lewis Carroll, who published Alice in Wonderland because he gave it to his buddy, George McDonald, who had children. And George McDonald's children thought, wow, this is great. And George McDonald is the man that I spent about a year and five months talking to sort of on a daily basis because he wrote a book called Diary of an Old Soul and every day I answered one of his poems. I've never done something so every day in my life. Look at how interconnected you that know, is. Uh, oh, it, oh, it all, I believe it all is. You know, right. I was talking to somebody, oh my God, what do we wear no- tonight for the Red State premiere? And she said, well, I was thinking of a hockey shirt, and I said, me too, me too. <laughs> you know, I said, wait a minute, no, that's Kevin's thing. What if we all come out in hockey? You know, these are, these are the silly little worries, because some of us can't believe the permission to be just ourselves. Right. You know, you want to bring something to the moment, because it is, it's a gathering. You said that it was, um, I was listening to an article about Ken Kesey and so on, and it was the Grateful Dead that was their band, I think, mm-hmm. the Merry Pranksters and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And you were likening uh, this that you were doing, whether you call your Q&A uh, the little insert self-deprecating joke here extra for the movie, or right. whether you call the movie, you know, the, at the bottom of the box of Cracker Checks. And by the way, the movie is about Important things. And by the way, Blacklist, listening to your interview with Michael Parks. Mm -hmm. Oh, my Lord. Can you imagine when you have a talent like that, how hard and high the walls might be after years of not getting to express that gift? Yeah. Because somebody said, ah, he's trouble. Yes. He was. Ever. uh, If you hear his Red State Union episode... He was literally, a lot of his career, half of his career was cock-blocked because he pissed off the wrong people. Or somebody was jealous of him. Mm. Or It's weird. It's high school out here, man. That's why it's like you come out and you're like, yeah, it's like living in a painting. But sometimes inside that painting, it's very much like high school where petty grievances can destroy uh, whole careers in, in one way. Like, look, somebody closes a door to you in this industry as in the Smothers Brothers show gets canceled, you went over to a theater and got a gig instead. For your life. Richard, yeah. uh, I'm trying to think Richard, I want to say Richard Jordan, mm-hmm. a wonderful actor. There's some wonderful actors there. It's just when you feel that you, you, you have the habit of, of um they call terminal uniqueness or something. Yes. You have that habit. Then the question of whether you can participate or not, Mm-hmm. It's it's always moot. I mean, if you have enough guts and you know what you want, you're going to go wherever it is you you need to go. Right. But if you're a little cautious, a little like, uh, which fork do I pick up now? Mm-hmm. Then uh, that kind of moxie is uh, impressive. Oh wait, it's like uh, 
I'm stepping on a crack now. My mother's back is going to break. Right, right. Whoa. Yeah, you were, it's weird. You've got an artist's soul, but you were raised in a very uh, non-artsy world. Yeah, well, same with mine. I didn't have that. Yeah. I mean, but I had, look, I had encouragement, but never, kind of like yours to the point of like, he'll enjoy this until he gets a real job one day. Because nobody does this for a living. Nobody that we knew. Hey, Madeline Kahn had a speech therapist's degree, you know, and her mother, she had to compete with her mother. That's a hard way to go. Explain. What do you mean? Her mother was a singer who believed that she had tremendous talents and she had two children and she was a divorced woman. And, uh, and, uh, Madeline went, I think she went to Hofstra and got the speech therapist's, uh, degree and the mother taught the daughter how to sing and Madeline had a genius, beautiful operatic voice mm-hmm. and way too intelligent for the dumb blonde that, uh, she was in a way characterized as mm. and, uh, and so, so gifted. Right. But I think at a certain point she, she, she gave her mother a show in Hollywood <laughs> so the mother could, could shine. It's like the mama rose in, right. in gypsy thing. <clears throat> right. But um, what I mean is everybody has their, their circumstance. Madeline and I bonded. I think a lot of kids who don't have fathers did, right. you know, there's the frequency Could and they know each other. each other. Yeah. Now, um, when did we, the, the big one though we got ahead is when did you start Mr. Rogers? What year did, um, again, you're not good with the years, but okay, so before I Los to, Angeles, I before you went to the Smothers uh, Brothers thing? Just the way I had. What? Second City? Why should I, a New Yorker, right. go to Chicago? All right. Uh, same bit like Pittsburgh. The second copy of the Mad Show, which was based on Mad Magazine, mm-hmm. which had in it this Sondheim song that I loved. Sondheim wrote a song for the Mad Magazine called, show? Yes, but he wrote it under a pseudonym. It was something like Esteban Del Ni- Anyway, it was a funny song, and since I didn't have that confidence about my chops i thought well i've got to have a really funny song and this is a funny song mm-hmm. it was a takeoff on the boy from ipanema but it was uh the girl from ipanema and it was called boy from the boy from tacarembo la tumba del fuego santa malipe zacatecas la junta del soli cruz <laughs> you know at the end and she's in love with him and she doesn't know he's gay and and then at the end of the song she's crushed because he's moving to wales to live in Oh, so I had to sing the song so much that, okay, Pittsburgh, I'm in it. Right. And I go to Pittsburgh and Fred Rogers, whose ingenue has just left for New York City, the same club that I left. So she was heading where she you were leaving She was heading to New from. York, and I had come to Pittsburgh with a matchup. What was she? Was she Lady? Judy Nays was her name, Lady Judy Nays, I think. Was she the and first she lady? she wound up in... No, no, Josie Carey was the first lady in Children's Corner. She, uh, unbeknownst to me, I took her place. Had I known I was taking her place, I probably wouldn't have taken the job uh-huh. because she started with Fred. And Fred's an only child... She was a secretary. She wrote some of the best songs with him. And when he decided to go solo, he had a, a program in Toronto, I think, or in Canada. He began to come out from under the, <laughs> from under, that's funny, to come, 
What kind of pot are you smoking, Kev? This is, this awesome. is pretty decent. All right, then. Um, um, he decided to he go from being a be duo. With Josie Carey, he was behind the camera uh-huh. playing the piano. That's where the sneakers originated, running silently to put his hands in the puppets. Right. But then he basically let Josie Carey go to her astonishment and came out from behind the sets and became the central host person. Right. And then took it to Pittsburgh at a time when public television was just starting. And I had happened to be in Pittsburgh at the time. That's mm. supposed to be like weird music saying, da-da. Oh, yeah. Coincidence. Because I was singing this song. And here I am singing a song uh, about a young girl who's in love with a gay guy. Mm-hmm. At a time, I mean, you never even said the word gay. You never, you, I mean, it wasn't discussed what you did in, in bed. You right. know, it was, maybe it was understood and it was no big deal that we didn't talk about it. You know, we we're so tasteful. And Fred Rogers, um, was in the audience. And he and I both knew a wonderful actor named Don Franks, uh, who's Canadian. Mm hmm. And Don Franks had sung certain songs that I liked in his nightclub act. He starred in Finian's Rainbow with Petula Clark, and he starred in Kelly, which was like a one-night show in New York. Mm -hmm. And I had asked him, oh, who wrote that song? Well, it was Fred Rogers. So I had one interview with Fred Rogers, and uh, before you knew it, I was talking. So that's about, it's either 67 or 69. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was like, let's go, jump on the show. And it was already yes. established as and, Mr. Well, Rogers' neighborhood. I, I thought, you know, it would be, I, I never thought, okay, and, and so a 40 year interaction begins. No. Right. Yeah. Of course. I, not. All of a sudden I'm talking to a little sock puppet and I remember Fran Allison, whom I loved so much on the television with Kukla, Fran and Ollie. Right. A Chicago lovely kid and Leslie Caron in Lily, mm-hmm. who also talked to the puppets and, uh, Began to talk to the puppets. Right. And was in Pittsburgh. And, uh, I was, I got married to someone in Pittsburgh and Albert Brooks, who was then Albert Einstein, who was going to Carnegie Mellon for about 10 minutes, mm-hmm. was in a show with we were in a show together. You and but, Albert Brooks? Yeah. But he was still Albert Einstein then? Yeah. And then he left, uh, I think I tried out some Julia Child recipe on him. Poor guy. <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't know he was showbiz royalty or anything like that. It Why just, was he showbiz royalty? Oh, uh, his father was Parkycarcus, who was some kind of a very famous, uh, radio performer. I don't know my, my history uh-huh. enough. But he came from people in the business. Yeah. And his brother, I think, is James isn't James Brooks his brother, the director? I don't, I don't know. know if they're related. Me I, neither. I never knew that, yeah. As I said, anorexia, also about showbiz stuff, right. you know. The thing that was inescapable to me was that I wasn't bringing, oh, here's Be- little Betty Sunshine, come to the set of Kev's to be the good luck token. Right. What happened was I found myself in a stupor of bliss. In while doing Mr. Rogers? No, while doing Red State. Excuse while doing Red me. State. We're, we're about, uh, okay. I'm not letting you go back there. Right. You, you keep trying to make this about me. I this can't is help about it. you. All right. But no, but you're talking about my otherworldliness and so on. Anyway, I was not supposed to be a, a sexy person ever. 
I had to wear moo-moos. On the um, show? On the show. That Mr. was kind Rogers. of established, like a conversation. Yes, and of, if you think about who Fred actually was. Who was he? Ah. Uh, and was he Canadian? A, you keep saying like. No, no, but he started Toronto. in, he started in Canada. He was an only child. Hmm. He came, uh, to be at a time when they had kidnapped the Lindbergh baby, so they pretty much didn't let him play in the dirt, never mind by himself. And when he was 11... They were afraid he was going to get kidnapped? Yeah. That kind of money. Right. That kind of money... Oh, they were very wealthy. Oh, yes. And uh, I think he must have had the best relationship with his grandfather, because he never talked much about his father, and his grandfather was the one who said, you know, Freddie, uh, people can like you just the way you are, and I like you just the way you are. Really? And, so his grandfather um, was good King Friday, essentially. I think now that maybe all the puppets were, you know, I was talking about fragmentation. Yes. What if every fragment in your head became a puppet? Right. Well, all different stages of life. Were represented like Daniel, by the, the little bait, the youngest of them, and X, the one who, who wants to get knowledge, and Lady Elaine Fairchild, who is telling the truth to power and standing up to everybody, and, uh, and, uh, all of them. Uh, Corny, the businessman, and right. King Friday, who uh, I was like, what are they talking about? What is it? What do I mean? Correct as usual, Uncle Friday. News Aberlin, I presume. Correct as usual. What is this correct as usual? Here I was, like Jennifer, only an earlier generation. Right. Why don't we have a Ms. Puppet? Right. You know, yeah, well, he gave us a Ms. Puppet and she was a cow, Harriet Elizabeth Cow. She, <laughs> thank you, Fred. And she lived, uh, someplace else with Don Quixote and, uh, so on. I mean, uh, really, do you want me to go on with it? The thing is, uh, Fred, Fred was friends with, uh, Van Cliburn. He was friends with Tony Perkins, who was also friends with Stephen Sondheim. Mm-hmm. And, um, was Fred, uh, how should I put this? Was he married? He was married. And it's interesting that, um, he, those are the two questions I'm asked most over the years. What's Fred Rogers really like? And the question that you're too delicate to ask. Right. So let's keep it like that. So totally. the thing is, uh, let's say that the, the thing that was continually the, the, um, what do you call it? The, the branding. Right. Was what you see is what you get. Yes, married, uh, wife, concert pianist, two sons, grandchildren. And if you think that what you see is what you get was what Flip Wilson, as Geraldine, always said. And the fact that Fred Rogers said that your life is immeasurably enriched because of everybody that you love. I don't think in a world where Justice Scalia would uh would fire all the gay teachers of America. God forbid they should have any influence on the young. Mm-hmm. That someone of that time and breeding. I I remember could have addressed that in any other way than uh the infinite way because Fred was a braid child development. Talk about dogma. Child development. Mm-hmm. Presbyterian minister went over his lunch hour over seven-year periods, swam two hours every day. Thank you very much. A promise he made to himself. And uh, what was the third? Music. He composed all the music. He did all the lyrics. He was male and female, created he us. He was uh, mocked 
there is something on the internet talking about he was really a Navy SEAL. No, he wasn't a Navy SEAL, folks. No, he wasn't a Navy SEAL. And he wasn't a, quote, beautiful, uh, like, uh, oh, man, sexy Fred. No, Fred was who Fred was. He was very both. And he had a great deal of love for everybody. Mm. And uh, that is one reason why the felt... I mean, Fred's talking about how we're beyond even the duality of gender. Right. Uh, a lonely child who played the piano uh, wasn't allowed to get angry. Uh, his mother knitted every sweater he made. Every sweater he wore? She, every sweater she... he wore. Whoa. One little prayerful... You know, and every year would say, well, what color would you like, Freddie, this year? And we'd go ahead and, you know, all those things in the closet. And a wonderful sense of humor and beautiful whimsy. The operas are just so good. They're in a vault somewhere in Pittsburgh because the suits are are keeping the Fred Rogers Company alive. It used to be Family Communications. Um, he loved people. And... Fred Phelps had to pick at him. Fred Phelps was asked in an interview whether Fred was gay. And uh, he said he didn't know whether he was or not, but that he enabled gays. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, never that's their whole thing. I never connection with, uh, with the gay community what, at all. Well, we, you know, what we were an interesting lot. Uh, those of us who were so-called talent, um, we were very devoted because we realized we were not in anything we could quit somehow. We had, we had blunt, stumbled into somebody's mission for right. children. Right. And that was not to teach, uh, two, two, six, six, six and two, eight, eight, but was going to be a sustenuto, uh, discussion. The early days were best because, uh, nobody had become the icon yet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just a great deal of devotion and funky little puppets that got replaced over the years. Mm-hmm. And mostly trying to let people know what we ourselves, many of us, didn't know, that we had worth as is. Mm-hmm. And that if we could accept ourselves as we were, instead of being accepted, if we would do thus and such or become thus and such. Or, mm-hmm. So it sounds like Fred was dealing with a, a a bunch of larger issues that he then wanted to take and just kind of en- enrich children's lives and educate them, be like, uh, just improve where he came from. He was reaching back, it sounds like. Am I wrong? Am I misreading I, I, it? I don't know. Uh, sounds I, like that dude wanted to create for kids a life that he did not have yes, whatsoever. I, oh, that's, I think so, and and he was... Not even as a child and not even as, as an adult. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's been shown that, um, sometimes, uh, crucibles like that, mm-hmm. uh, are the making of, of art. And Fred was able to do the, what is very hard to do, which is he, he was able to simplify complicated things. Mm-hmm. And I think, he and I had a creative friction together in, in terms of ideas because I was bringing this uh, fatherless, uh, broken home into his paragon of 
the two-parent family and so on. Right. And when when the assassinations happened, uh, you know, Kennedy... Uh, Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy. Mm-hmm. I, Fred, we got to do we got to do a show that, and he did the most beautiful script, uh, in which Daniel asks Lady Aberlin to blow up a balloon, and she does, and then he tells her to let all the air come out of the balloon, and you know with that sound that balloons make. Mm-hmm. And he asks her, mind you, this program is for two to four-year-old children for the most part. Really? And anybody who's listening on a deeper level, and he says, well, where did all that air go? How how he could make a metaphor for death for a two to four-year-old child. Right. And then there was the incidence of the, I mean, for me, Bush Sr., was doing a Mr. Rogers, you know, medium close shot during the war, assuring everybody that everything's going to be all right, in the same way that Fred on national television assured parents that although they, the children were watching, you know, children in gas masks and war, that I worry was. about your your health, Kev. Mine? Are you staying up too much? Um, okay. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fantastic. I, I've re- realized recently I'm a short sleeper. Um, there's a condition for it. There are a bunch of people who are overachievers who fall into the setting of really? short sleepers. Yeah. We function on three or four hours of sleep a day. There's also a condition called hypomania, which I think I may have. It, I mean, again, there's a web diagnosis. Oh my God. When, when you look on the web and start diagnosing yourself. No, I was thinking, I, I don't want to put you to sleep, but if you need sleep, I want to put you to sleep. God, no. I'm so good. Um, I want to stay on point though. How long did you stay with Mr. Rogers? And is that a kind um, of job where like, just as you, uh, didn't know, but we're replacing someone else, do you eventually get replaced? Well, the, uh, no. Because I never want, you know, so I no. watched it at a certain age, but I didn't, at a certain point, I didn't keep no, up with what went on. I think we all stayed. Right so once you end. guys. Uh, we either died or stayed to the end, which was 2001. And that's when it, that's when he officially retired? He had stomach cancer. Really? I think he was 76, but I could be wrong. Right. I, as I said, dates, numbers. Get, How many years did you guys do that show? 40. Four decades of talking to puppets and Fred Rogers every day. Now, when we first started, it was going to work like the dentist. It was 64 shows. But then Reagan or Nixon, I can't remember who, cut spending to public television, the same thing they're threatening to do now. Mm. And Fred saved their bacon with his beautiful plea, which is on the Internet somewhere. Um, Then we did only 15 a year, so... No matter where I was, I would come in and they put my 15 shows together. And where I was was pillar to post, uh, broken relationship, go off with the family, mm-hmm. uh, come back, worked in Hollywood, Vermont, got into a long run show called I'm Getting My Act Together and Taking on the Road, written by John Cryer's mother. Right. Gretchen Cryer. Right. And Nancy Ford. Right. If we looked at all the connections, we, you know, we could sleep in the net, 
you know, just below no the doubt. trapeze. Yeah, you I'm know? telling you, you're like a Forrest Gump, man. You cover a lot of territory. You know a lot of people. I want to say this, like, okay, uh, if my head d- doesn't explode while I'm talking to Kevin, good. <laughs> because I'm coming from, like, post-traumatic stress, you know. What I mean is, are we all post-traumatic stress now? You know in the cartoon where they hit the hit the cat on the head and he starts vibrating, vibrating to the, you know, 19 of them and there's only eight and yeah. only one. And even if you were only vibrating a little bit, too. Right. Never mind having distracting thoughts, never mind being in the airport with the airport screens and CNN telling you something terribly urgent that's coming. Yes. You know, where do you... Well, if I would be quiet now, except it's kind of hard to have an interview when... One, no, it isn't. I'll just try it. I was going to say birds. I know yeah. you hear the birds. I, that's what I like about it. There's life. There's no, we're not in a sound booth. There's no, there's air in here and it's coming from right outside and cars go past and you hear birds. They say that in Georgia. They say, ain't nothing between you and me but air and opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to take you back real quick. If you do 15 episodes a year, that means you could probably kill those in one sitting, right? A week, maybe. Come to town and on one day do three segments and mm-hmm. on another day two. And in that way, years, it's very much like camp. Like more so than a reg- like a regular – when you're shooting a regular TV show, they do it for like eight months of the year. But it sounds like with children's television, and particularly with this, if you're doing 15 episodes a year, you can get all your work done for a season in one week. Well, uh, maybe three weeks, uh-huh. uh, but it doesn't compare with way well-funded shows like Sesame Street with a zillion writers. Fred was the only writer, the only composer, blah, blah, blah. And the um, thing was, wherever I went, drop everything to continue. It's kind of like... If you're the color yellow in mm-hmm. in Van Gogh's painting, you can't quit. Right. I mean, he'd already done the show on death. What's he going to say? Well, Lady Aberlin went away. Right. And over the years, I ceased to exist in reality so much uh-huh. and began only to be in make-believe. In in your own life? or No, no, on the, in the neighborhood. Thank God. Hopefully not in so, my own life. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, Are you, is Betty your, going there after again? After your praise of me and my... And my eth- ethereal nature. Yes. I thought, well, oh. Maybe she, maybe you are. Maybe he's right. So you're saying on the show, rather than, um, be, um. Betty's little theater, uh, uh, in other words, Fred in Fred's television house yes. goes down in the outside neighborhood of reality to Betty's little theater where, um, uh, a New Orleans jazz group is performing and with Johnny Costa. Genius, Johnny Costa. Uh, instead of that, instead of having Betty's Little Theater exist, it's kind of started not existing, and I started being just Lady Aberlin, not Betty Aberlin of Betty's Little Theater. Right. BLT. <laughs> um, but, uh. So that's on the show, you were. I got relegated Betty to make. To, to, and then, Betty. and Lady Aberlin was when you, you get on the trolley and go into the. Yeah. What is and it? What was it called? Was it the land of make believe or the what neighborhood of make believe? Neighborhood of make believe. And that was where King Friday and everybody was. Yeah. So the longer you went on, you were just living in the land of King Friday. Pretty much. Yeah. I don't know whether he thought that, uh, my sanity was so shaky that I would do <laughs> way better or he would be less embarrassed by me. I remember once we did a children's, uh, appearance. Fred was always saying, um, I'm the real Mr. Rogers, which made all of us actors, and yet he used our real names. Right. 
So uh, in the years when I was smoking, if someone came up to me, I had to, I had to, you know, become instantly gracious. And I remember at, there was a, a time when we were doing a, a show for children, um, and there was a stagehand and he and I were eyeing each other. And Fred Rogers came over to me and said, remember who you are and what you stand for. And it's like, what? <laughs> what does he mean? What hey, is, man, that's a what? lot. I just, I, the dude's cute. <laughs> but, but there is enough pro- prohibition along those lines in my, in my own life, Amish upbringing, right. Amish Jewish. And, uh, from this unknown upper class white Anglo sex, I didn't know what he meant, but I knew that I wasn't to embarrass him so that there would be times in life when to protect the program. You had to give up being you. Yeah, and whether I found being me or not, you know, am I just trying to be the best, the best little bit player in in the uh, you know, Kevin Smith uh, repertory company right now? Or I guess you're always thinking. I know you do think about the people who are listening. When I see you answering Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, it's a very heavenly ping pong. You know, sometimes people come at you with a hard slam and kablock, you know. <laughs> I don't know if you're getting way more skilled at that, but I feel the same way. It's like, oh, my gosh, we have air time here. This is precious air. People's time is precious. What am I saying? Thank God you all have a right program things. called Babylon, Babylon. Yes, but you're saying all the right mm. things, man. I've been paying attention. And trust me, if I'm somebody who... I, if I'm remotely artistic, I'm inspired by, like, everything I've heard in this conversation. Everything. 40 fucking years. Here's what you, I asked you, did you always know you wanted to be an actress or did you pursue it? Whether you knew you wanted to be or not, that is a testimony to the craft that you put 40 years in on that performance. And it's like people play, Seinfeld plays Seinfeld for 10 years and they give him applauds and like, oh my God, how difficult and how wonderful that was for you. He got to be whoever he wanted in real life. You were playing a role that was quasi kind of based on you and a role that never ended when you left the studio. It carried into real life. And rather than be the person who is like of our generation would have been like, hey, man, fuck you. I ain't Lady Averland. That's on the fucking show. You actually maintain the role in life so much so that it's it's you're almost now indistinguishable. Uh Oh, Lord, <laughs> Lord Smith, how you talk. Um Well, there was that sense, I guess, maybe. There came to be a realization that uh, remember who you are and what you stand for. Mm-hmm. Well, even trying to stand for anything, trying or like your death from scrupulosity about whether or not you have the right to go on being a creative artist uh, beside the man who uh, is doing the drudgery job in mm. order to pay the bills. Yes. Um, I don't know if I became late. I didn't even know what a lady is. I helped him change the lyrics. He had a song about, uh, every, I think it was everybody's fancy, which was really in terms of child development, supposed to be about liking your penis or your vagina, whichever one you had. That's what everybody's the song was fancy. about. Some are fancy on the inside. Yeah. Vagina. Uh, some are fancy on the outside. Oh, penis. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. And so is mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. Girls are girls right from the start. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. And so is mine. I think you're a special person. Woohoo. 
Are there any prizes for knowing Fred Lott, Rogers' lyrics? How anyway, do you have them all the, still there was committed? Something at the end of it was, do you oh, have them oh all God, so? yes. Really? I'm afraid so. Um, the original lyric was, for a girl can be someday a lady, and a boy can be someday a man. Anyway, and I said, what do you mean a girl, uh, a boy can be a man and a girl can be a lady? Right. So he changed the lyric, you know, a girl can be someday a woman. Mm -hmm. And a boy can be someday a man. But so he was open. Whole, he was open. He was Oh yes. Oh yes, he was collaborative. Oh, he was and open. Uh I started to tell you about the war show. He did a week on conflict mm -hmm. that got equal response and flack from the hawks and the doves. Really? And they took it right out of the library. They never they never showed it. After that? Look, we're in a culture of war right now. What do you want to go and show uh, a story in which Lady Elaine and 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 Lady Aberlin, I'm always mistaken as as Lady Elaine. Right. You know, really, we were like one person if you put us together, the puppet and the person. <laughs> um, the king hears that they're they're uh, manufacturing parts at Corny's factory, and he's certain that Westwood is going to make war. And Lady Elaine, and and he and he gets everybody to be in a uniform, and Handyman Negri has his. Uh, you know, army stuff on, and mm. Lady Elaine and I go down to Westwood and we find out that we're making parts for a bridge and not for, you know, it's a misunderstanding. Right. Singing little songs about how it's cool to have a wee wee. <laughs> that's important, man. It's well, I important. wish somebody had sung me that. I know, know, see? Well, but darn. that's what you did. You spent the next 40 years of your life self correcting for shit that you didn't even have to make up for. But you made it easier for kids and other people, adults, um, to kind of uh, head out into the yowling darkness. Children, unless you can sell them a bunch of stuff, are denigrated in this world often. <laughs> Very true. Um, people who work as children's entertainers mm -hmm. are thought of as in their own strange little wing all the years from whoever it was, you know, who was, quote, making it. Right. What are you doing in Pittsburgh? What are you doing with that program? That man is strange. Right. Um, if people know that you work in children's television, you, you, you may have cast me because of Lady Aberlin. Thank you, Fred Rogers. Thank you, Stephen Sondheim. Thank you, Mad Magazine. Look at that part. You thank you. Back. He, thank you. such a grateful Greek, person. Greek myths and Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales. Thank you, uh, Maura Shearer, thank you, thank you, thank you all. And by the way, actress-wise, Zora Lampart, who has one scene in Splendor in the Grass, mm -hmm. Gina Rowlands in Anything, um, Margaret Sullivan in Little Shop Around the Corner, Simone Signore in Anything, Leslie Caron, Julieta Messina. These are the ones that did it for you? Oh, God, yes. And Andre Rublev and Brazil and you... Stop it. I'm, I'm you're never allowed to say my name again. You're too, you're too damn. No, 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 no. Look, I mean, see, the deal is, I, it's funny. I went to Russia once and in Russia, it was a time when America wasn't talking to Russia. Mm -hmm. And you would bring gifts, like whatever it would be, and you would always get a gift back. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's in my Russian blood or something. I don't know. I, Kevin, I don't know what kind of blood I have actually, but let me say, I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, well. 
exchange of gifts. Oh yeah. That's so the burden of gratitude, forever. you see. The burden so of so uh, the idea of being in debt and to be seen, whether it was stunt casting or not, to be permitted to do comedy again, which I love. I love. You know, there are very few people that have ever made me actually laugh. I generally go, "That's funny." Right. 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 Because you're a pro. That's fine. A hardened professional. Exactly. You've been to the circus, so it takes a lot. I mean, they're gonna, the elephants have to work the trapeze before you raise an eyebrow. And oh, like, that's interesting. I love the elephants and Harley loves them too. Yeah, big time. Let me ask you this. You started, you said 40 years you did the show and it ended 2001. So is this the 50th anniversary? 2011? It you may be. You're the one who does the math, Kev. I can't. Uh, I well, keep turning to you for math. I think right, so. No, I think I need to turn to others for help with math. And well, no, it begins in 19, they say 68, but he started oh, prior 68. to that, right? Yes, he had. His initial show was called The Children's Corner. That right. was with Josie Carey. And then came Run All Together, Mr. Rogers, M-I-S-T-E-R-O-G-E-R-S. Right. And then came. 43, that was 43 years ago. I mean, it says it, well, yes. no, it starts 68. And I'm so happy to have this opportunity. You don't even, that's the thing. It's like, I, it blows my mind because you do not look the age that according to the IMDb, you must be based on how long you've been working. But wait, 68 well, to 2001 helps. would be what? 33 years? 40, 40. I think I was, uh, technically 30. Wow. That's so much time. So much time, man. Were there ever, did you ever get in, you had to have get into arguments and stuff like that? Or was it always it's just? Like, uh, the thing became, okay, here's what I was trying to say. Fred would say, I'm myself, I'm not an actor. Mm-hmm. He had some kind of, uh, he had an appreciation for actors, but he didn't want himself to be confused with the show folk. And Sesame was doing a lot of, um, entertainment and getting celebrities on quite right. a lot, even though we did our fair share. I mean, thank God we had Mabel Mercer on and we had a number of celebrities. But as you have said, everybody has a story. I was always pulling for, let's not get celebrities. Let's just get, yeah. quote, ordinary people right. in. But um it's so funny. I think it's funny that you just he distinguished himself from the show folk. Yeah. And so that Do you think that made us actors an educator? Said, and he wanted yes, he wanted more and more to distinguish himself from Sesame Street, mm-hmm. which sought to entertain parents and children. Right. As distinct from our program which sought primarily to communicate Fred felt that it was holy ground the space between the television and the person. Really? Yeah. And that when he talked one-on-one, which he got from Gabby Hayes, because Fred... The actor? The, the act- fucking character you know, the actor? Character yeah, actor, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gabby Hayes. Because Fred was a... I mean, Fred worked on the Kate Smith Hour. He worked on the original Amal and the Night Visitors as a floor man, mm-hmm. manager. And he basically asked Gabby Hayes, how do you deal with an audience? Okay, right. here's Fred, the shy, behind-the-scenes guy who's finally going to come out in front of the camera, as is. Uh, and Gabby Hayes said, I just talked to one little buckaroo. So Fred's one-on-one with the camera, you mostly didn't see him. You didn't see the rest of us break that wall once he allowed Chuck Aber to stand in in the television house. 
and communicate one-on-one with the child. That was something he only did? Like nobody yeah. else on the show addressed the camera? Right. So when he was like, I, I like, I like that you're special. You know that, right? Like he was, he, he was he the only guy that's that right. It was ho- that was holy ground. And if you think about it, I mean, I was broke, that, I was that child looking at the television screen. Mm-hmm. If you had put poison out there for me, I would have eaten all the poison. Right. I didn't have a choice. That was my babysitter, you know, and actually radio that stood in for the absent father for me, the voices of the radio announcers, which is, I love radio. Um, but he believed that that was holy ground one on one. I mean, and he was a minister. What did I know from ministers? Please. Was he a, a practicing minister? His ministry was the program, but he was on national public television. So sometimes we do the denouement of an opera on a Thursday. So the Jewish kids would, you know, would be, they wouldn't be able to watch it on Friday. Right. And we we're always walking that tightrope. We did a, a, a song. Daniel asks something about what, what is God or, and Fred did the genderless God. First he did God made the rainbow and he made this and he made this and he made this. Right. Second lyric was God made the rainbow, da da da. She made this and she made this and she made this. And the last line was love made this and love made. I mean, it was better lyrics than that. Tremendous anger that, that he got. For that song? For that song. For Tremendous. the gender? Yes. For giving God both genders, yeah. The end of the day, somebody's just like, um, uh, you get to do it all over again. Do you do it? Do you go for a life in the arts? Yeah. Absolutely. What else am I fit for? <laughs> Find more funny shit like this at smodcast.com.